Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to episode 168. Today, we're discussing our book recommendations that feature some of our favorite tropes. Before we get started today, we just wanted to remind you that if you are loving Unabridged and you want to get more involved, a great way to do that is to join our ambassadors program. You can do that at our website, unabridgedpod.com ambassadors. This is a great group of people. It's free to join. And what you're able to do is just participate in helping us to make some decisions about things that we talk about, books that we read, and you promote our podcast when things come out and you're loving what you're seeing. And then we send some swag your way. So it's just a great group and we would love for you to join us. We're going to get started today with our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? So I am reading James McBride's Deacon King Kong, and this is one of the books that is in the bracket for the Tournament of Books. My Real Life Book Club is also reading it this month, and and it's been one I've been wanting to read. I love James McBride's work, and I'd heard a lot of good things, but as we often talk about, sometimes with literary fiction, it's a little bit of a hurdle for me to pick the book up without having it without having a deadline or a due date or some sort of motivation attached. Cause I know it's going to be some work and my brain is not always functioning these days anyway. So I'm looking at the summary now and I'll just say, this is a tough book to summarize even at the beginning, because it's very much more about the character and the writing than it is the plot, but it does have a really cool incident at the beginning. Not cool. Maybe, maybe compelling incident at the beginning. So there's an older man in this neighborhood named Sportcoat whose wife died two years ago. And since then his attachment to reality has been a little sketchy and he wanders down the street one day and he's talking sort of nonsense, but nobody really pays attention to him because that's his normal. And suddenly he goes up to this young man who is a drug dealer in this neighborhood and who everyone is scared of. And he shoots him in the head and nobody has any idea why I don't want to give a spoiler, but I will just say everyone is pretty sure at this point that sport coat is going to die because the kid whose name is Deems Deems's influence in the neighborhood is such that he has all of these people who are, were looking out for his interests and invested in his business. And the fact that this loss happened means that sport coat is probably not going to make it very long. So yeah, it's this really interesting, again, the characters are really interesting. They're really vivid and McBride's writing is just phenomenal. So he has these long winding sentences that are talking about the state of the neighborhood and different people's points of view within that neighborhood and the different roles that have emerged for people the, those who are dependent on the drug dealers, those who hate them, but don't want to do anything to stand up to them. 
those who are really frustrated by it and doing what they can to act out against it, but their power is not the same as the people who have the money behind them. So it's really looking at sort of the the social hierarchy that's behind it. That all sounds very solemn, but it's also really funny. Sport coat is eccentric and it talks about how 60 or 70 years ago when he was born, they said he wouldn't make it a day. And he is this medical marvel. He had extra teeth. So dentistry students were always eager to get him because they could pull his teeth because he had extras. And so, I mean, so it's just all of these really bizarre things as it's building his character. So it's one of those things that is this great balance of humor and solemnity and, and an earnest look at some social issues that are important. So yeah, it's a tough one to summarize. I'm really enjoying it. I don't know if that summary would make anyone want to read it, but I would say it's worth picking up. So that's James McBride's Deacon King Kong. That sounds fascinating, Jen. I love his work as well. and definitely want to read that one. I've never read any of his work, but... He's really neat. And I think he's one of those authors who's continually pushing himself to do different things. So he writes brilliant historical fiction, uh, the Good Lord Bird won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer, I think a few years ago. That's recently been adapted. He has some World War II fiction. He has a book about James Brown. He's just all over the place. I think he's just, he's a really interesting person. I got to see him speak at a local university And he was also just really kind. He was one of those authors that seeing him in person made me like him more, which does not always happen, but it was a great experience. So yeah, I really like him. And Sarah, I think you would love The Color of Water because that's his memoir that Jen shared about before. And I think you would love that one because it's it's just like, I think it has a lot of the characteristics of the memoirs that you have enjoyed. And then it's Mm -hmm. just a fascinating examination of his life and a beautiful story. Yeah. Yes. When Jen talked about that a while back, I thought that that sounded like something I'd really like to read. Yeah. I'll probably have that one on my shelf. I can bring that to you. What about you, Sarah? What are you reading? (laughs) A while back, Ashley was talking about having all these books that she needed to read. And then she, then, and she was talking, it it was during a bookish check-in and she was talking about how she requested Sarah Morgenthaler's The Tourist Attraction from the library and that she just decided to read it even though she had all these other obligations. So right after we recorded that episode, I was like, I'm going to look and see if my library has that for me to (laughs) request. And so I did, I put a hold on it and then the hold came in and I ignored it just to get through what I needed to get through. And now I have four days left and I need to (laughs) plow through it. So I am reading Sarah Morgenthaler's The Tourist Attraction. Both Jen and Ashley have talked about this one. So I'm just going to give a teeny brief summary. It's set in Alaska. It's about a grumpy curmudgeonly guy who runs a diner and then a woman who comes with one of the frequent tourists that comes to the area often her bet her friend comes her name's zoe and she comes with her and then they just have met but you can tell it's gonna be possibly a love connection and i'm loving it so far i love the diner and i think we talked before in the episode we talked about this particular book before we talked about the Gilmore Girl vibes and I'm definitely getting all the Gilmore Girl vibes and Stars Hollow. So if you like the Gilmore Girls, I think that this is one that you would really like because just in the beginning, the community and kind of cranky, but loving, lovable, you know, got Graham and then 
all, all of that. It's just great. So I'm really enjoying it. And I will be enjoying it quickly because I need to plow <laughs> through it before my library hold <laughs> is complete. So that is Sarah Morgenthaler's The Tourist Attraction. Yes. I'm so glad that you <laughs> that you got on that bandwagon. I think it's just a lot of fun and fast moving. And I love the sense of place. And, you know, we've talked about that with Cozy Mysteries before, but I think with this romance, you're getting that as well, the sense of place and setting and how that really contributes to the story. Cool. And such good banter, such good banter. (laughs) Ashley, what are you reading? So I just started this one this morning. I am reading Ya Jesse's Transcendent Kingdom. I absolutely loved Homegoing. I thought it was a fascinating story, so richly drawn. I loved her examination and her writing style. And so I was so excited when this one came out and wanted to read it right away. And I just hadn't gotten to it yet. So I'm excited to start it. I am listening thanks to Libro FM. And Bonnie Turpin is the narrator. So I didn't realize that until I started. And I absolutely love all of her narration. I just think she's a phenomenal audiobook narrator. So that was really great as well. And I didn't know that that was an unexpected joy to start that. And so this one is about Gifty is the main character. And again, I haven't, I haven't listened to very much of it yet. But so far, it's clear that her family is from Ghana and lives in Alabama, but she is now an adult living in California. And her mom has had struggles with her mental health throughout Gifty's life. And those struggles have been difficult for the family. And it appears that now the mom is having an episode and is going to need some help. And so at the very beginning of the book, Gifty's been contacted by people in her mom's community and they have said, you know, we really think that she needs some help. And so she is picking up her mom at the airport and her mom is pretty non-responsive. And so she's preparing herself for working through that. And so she is a researcher. She works in a lab and immediately I think there is a sense of how she is different from her family. She comments on things like she drives a Prius and she knows that normally if her mom were in better mental health, she would be teasing her about the Prius and those kinds of things. And she always talks about her having a bleeding heart. And so it's a really fascinating look also at how her mom is from Ghana and has some of that connection. But then she also is entrenched in some of the culture of the Deep South and the attitudes of the people in Alabama. And so that's a really interesting thing as well. So again, I don't know a whole lot yet. It's clear that her family, she's experienced loss in her family. Her father and her brother are no longer alive. And that's apparent in the beginning, but we don't know the backstory yet. So I'm just thrilled. I am excited to start it. Like I said, I meant to get to it as soon as it came out. I was thrilled to see it on Libro FM. And it hasn't been a long time, but it's been a few months. And so I'm happy to dive in. And again, that's Yaa Jesse's Transcendent Kingdom. I cannot wait to see what you think of that. I just, yeah, I loved it so much. And it was amazing to me that it was by the same author as homegoing, because I do think it's so different. The writing is similarly beautiful, but it's a totally different approach to people's lives. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was it was a great discovery this morning. Like I said, I think there's some comfort. We've talked about this with audiobooks before, but there's comfort in a person's voice. Like there are certain narrators that I've really 
gotten used to. And so when I start, when I hit play and it was Bonnie Turpin speaking, I just, you know, that is such a joy. There are a few narrators that I'm here for whatever they read. And then that was a nice, that's nice when those things come together. Super excited about the book, super excited about the narrator. So today we're going to be discussing our favorite tropes. And we had some discussion before we started recording about what tropes are and how they function in books. And so that was kind of interesting and led us Mm -hmm. to just considering what impact tropes have on stories and what kind of book you often see them in. And I don't know if anybody wants to comment on that before we give some recommendations. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, we were kind of having a debate over what's a trope and what's a theme and what role they play in the story. I think where we landed is that a trope is almost like a premise. So it's something that's introduced right at the beginning of the story and it's maybe the inciting incident. So you know right away, it could be in the synopsis of the story, but it's not something like a theme is a main idea and a trope does not have to be a main idea. A theme is a main idea that should emerge over the story. And maybe you have an idea of what it is from the beginning, but the trope isn't really what the book's about. It's almost like the inciting incident kind of, or I don't know. I'm fumbling through well, this. Well, I but. have always thought of it as a plot device that moves the story forward. Also mm-hmm. that there's an element of a frame that then the author can put in, so if you looked at Star-Crossed Lovers, you are, as the author, saying, okay, I know that these two characters are going to fit in this way, and these are the obstacles that are going to make them not able to have their relationship. So I think it also is kind of a, a device that's being used in order to tell the story. And I was sharing with Jen and Sarah that I used to find that really off-putting. I still do a little bit. Sometimes like I'll start a book and if I realize it relies heavily on a trope, I have to work past that. And I, and I'm glad I have, I think I've talked before about romance books and that for a long time, like all of my life until the last year, (laughs) I did not read them. And that was partially because I found that a lot of them do use tropes and I found that off-putting at first. And what I've come to understand is that actually sometimes that can make a really great story. And it also can bring some comfort for the reader, just like a cozy mystery set in the same place. Or like we talked about with the tourist attraction, where there's a setting that you become familiar with, and then you're comfortable with the setting. So then you want to read more in that setting. I think tropes can function that way too, that when you pick up a book and it relies on a trope that you know you enjoy, that can be really great. And so for me, one I found that I really like that I'm not going to talk about today is I really like the fake dating trope. And I have found that that works for me really well. And that a lot of times if I'm looking for a new romance, now that I know that, that's something I look for because I like that part of relationship. I kind of like the way that the relationships often develop when they're relying on that trope. And so because of that, I, you know, I've read several great books that I've really enjoyed that. I mean, Talia Hibbert's Take a Hint, Danny Brown relies on that. Alexis Hall's Boyfriend Material also relies on that. And both of those I absolutely love. So Again, it doesn't mean that all of them are going to work for someone, but I do think as you come to find those things that you enjoy, it does help us when we're looking at our giant stacks of TBR, it can help us make some Mm -hmm. choices about which ones to try. Yeah, I think it can also maybe steer me away from books that I don't want to try. I will say, usually because they rely on tropes most heavily at the beginning, 
I often can work through my dislike. There are some trips that I just don't love. I can often work through my dislike of it because I do think in a well-written story, it's going to move past the trope pretty quickly. But I do sometimes have to work through a visceral reaction against certain yeah. tropes. Yeah, that's so. what I've found for myself too is, yeah, that sort of, that again, the visceral reaction is not always accurate for how I'm going to feel about the book, but I've had to learn mm-hmm. that about myself that just because right up front, I may be kind of, like one I find kind of off-putting actually is the enemies to lovers. I don't, I don't love that. And I have to work past it, but I've read some great books that rely on it. So then- yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, it does help sometimes to steer you clear of something, but also sometimes it's worth moving through something because you get to a great story you wouldn't right. experience otherwise. And I think for me, I find a lot of comfort in tropes. So if I know a trope is even like for star-crossed lovers, I know often that it's not going to end well, but like knowing going in that it's a star-crossed lover story, it's not as, it's not as devastating to me. So I'm able to be okay with that. A lot of times, like with books that are not going to end well, I find comfort in knowing that what's coming. And then that way I'm not as devastated. Sometimes when I watch TV and I'm anxious during the show, I'll take my cursor over because often I'm either watching on my computer or or in like something that's recorded. And I'll go and I won't watch the end of the show, but I'll just kind of see what the pictures are at the end of the show. So that like, if I'm watching, you know, how like reality TV, if I'm watching something and someone's getting eliminated, I'll go and see who's going to, who is going to get eliminated. And then I'll go back and then I can like really be present because I get, I get anxiety with the unknown. So that's why tropes for me bring some comfort. And especially in a time when, when I'm having a hard time reading or I'm in a reading slump, going to a tried and true trope for me is comforting and helps jumpstart my reading. Yeah, I think that's a great point about they can be a great way to access reading when you're in the slumps. Yeah. So we're each going to give a recommendation of a book that relies on a trope that we love. I think some of us have a better sense of that than others. So as I have already admitted, I'm pretty new to thinking about and reading books that clearly use tropes. So maybe my recommendation is not as great, but I love the book. So that's a plus. Sarah, you want to start us off? So one of my favorite tropes is star-crossed lovers. And actually, to me, I've read a lot of YA books that employ this trope more than adult books. And I think that Starcross Lovers works well with YA be- because of the angst, because I think a lot of times YA, especially romance books, rely heavily on teen angst. And so that's why I, I love that. I love the angst. And I'm a sucker for like a sad story, but that has all this love and passion. I just like that. So in the one that I'm choosing, although this one I think kind of rises above the trope because it's so good and I love John Green so much, but the one that I'm going to talk about is The Fault in Our Stars. This is Star Across Lovers because we have Hazel and Gus who Hazel has cancer and Gus is in remission but you know his cancer could go, could come back at any time and they form this relationship and it's very beautiful but th- throughout the whole book you have this sense of impending doom that something's going to happen that is going to take away their ability to be together and i think this is a great 
example of this trope because like I said, it rises above it had the trope is clearly there, but there's also so much other really thoughtful content in the book. And John Green just does like we've, we all fangirl over him all the time. I mean, he just writes teenagers so well and he includes the angst but I feel like it's really in an authentic way like the angst feels deserved like they it feels really authentic and it feels real so that's why I like this particular book for this trope I mean don't get me wrong I'm here for any Starcross lovers book and especially in YA I think also YA because I'm an adult reading YA it helps remove me from the situation a little bit because I feel like if I'm reading adult books, that is a little bit more impactful. And you know, young love too. It's really important at that moment, but you know, oftentimes it can be fleeting. So I think it's easier to read the star cross lovers trope when you're talking about teenagers, because they are going to have lots of love, hopefully in their life. Right. So anyway, another example is five feet apart. And it is also a one that that relies on star-crossed lovers and also is centered around the illness of both the characters who have cystic fibrosis. And I really love that one too. I know my counterparts didn't feel as strongly about that one, but I really did like that one too. But well, I was going to say, I don't love star-crossed lovers in general. I think it has to be an exceptional book for me to rise above that trope. So like, I'm all about the fault in our stars, but otherwise I'm a pretty tough sell. There's just, yeah. There's something in it. I don't know why I can't put my finger. I'm like, it's just not practical. Just pick somebody else. If yeah, it's, I think it's, it works so well in YA because teenagers are defiant. And so I think a lot of times it starts with defiance of this rule. Like fate says we can't be together. Well, I'm going to prove fate wrong. And so it's just really frustrating for me to work through all of that. And again, I can work through it but it has to be a really great book for me to get past it. Yeah. And I was thinking that I did really like that trope, but when you were talking, Sarah, I remember, so I think I like that trope, but also one way that Jen and I are very different is that I am not great at following the rules. And I find immediately I do have a relatively visceral reaction against rules and I have to work past that myself. So I think in that way, I do identify with the characters who often are in that situation because they're like, dang it, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I can relate to that even as an adult. Uh, Maybe I'll grow up one day. I don't know. But (laughs) I feel like I like that trope. But then when you were talking, Sarah, about the fault in our stars, that is a great example for me of one where I did really have to work to read it. I would not have read it, but we were in a book, Jen and I were in a book club at that time and the book club read it. And then it was phenomenal. And it was, so that's just a great example. And I don't know for me that it was the, the star cross lovers part so much as the fact that I knew that they were young and they were sick. And I just, and I knew that it was really sad, but then it was a story that I couldn't like once I read it, I was so glad that I read it. And I found it, my mom died of cancer. I found it very cathartic to read the story because I felt like on the page, it really showed the illness in its real form and not in the way that I'd seen it portrayed in other books. And so like, I loved all of that. So, I mean, that's a time where I would not have stretched to do it. I'm so glad I did it. And then in some ways, maybe that's why Mm -hmm. after I read that one several years ago that I felt more connection to the star-crossed lovers part. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we're reading a million Junes now for our buddy read, and I'm still only halfway through. I don't know how it's going to end. That's Starcrossed Lovers, and I'm loving it because Emily Henry is such a strong writer, and it's got this amazing magical realism mixed in. And yeah, I really love it. So I, I can love it. It's just that initial, yeah, if, if it's a gut reaction, if it's a gut check, I'm, I don't well, and I think it. also like with that one, she doesn't take it too seriously. And it kind of plays with the idea. And I like that in tropes too, when the characters and the author are somewhat aware and willing to admit the trope itself. I appreciate that. I mean, it's kind of like breaking the fourth wall that I like that part of just like, if you call it what it is, I'm more willing to go with you on it than if you're trying to show it to be different than what it is. So yeah, that makes sense. What about you, Jen? What is your trope and recommendation? So I have to say, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I was thinking I loved all the tropes and then I realized I don't. Another trope that I do not love is when a relationship begins with a lie and you know at some point in the book, the lie is going to come out. And I've realized I can work through it if one partner is lying. But I've read all these books recently where both partners are lying to each other. And I know at some point it's going to come out and I just keep screaming in my head, just tell each other the truth. Just say it. And yeah, so I've been thinking about tropes a lot lately because I was like, what is this that all these authors are writing about both partners lying to each other? You know, it's going to come out. Just say it. How do you think this is going to work? Anyway, one I do love, and it's funny because Ashley mentioned this earlier is one she doesn't love, but I really love Enemies to Lovers books. And I think it's because often it results in great banter, in great sort of begrudging admission of what one person likes about the other. It's not this sort of insta love thing. It's having to work through something. And I really love that. So I talked about this a lot. So this is not my pick, but I love Sally Thorne's The Hating Game because that book feels like those old movies where people are super smart and clever and have great comebacks and are just always sniping at each other until, of course, they realize they have feelings and then fall in love. Another great one is Casey McQuiston's Red, White, and Royal <laughs> Blue, which I, which is actually kind of star-crossed lovers also. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it has a bunch of tropes, but it never feels formulaic. And, and it's definitely enemies to lovers. I love that one too. But again, we've talked about it a lot. So the one that's officially my pick, I read recently, and it's Helena Hunting's Kiss My Cupcake. <laughs> And it is so much fun. So it's about two people, both of whom are opening new restaurants, new businesses. So Blair comes from a family who has very a very successful restaurant chain that is super high end. And she does not want to be a part of it. Her She does not want to charge people. for a steak. She wants to give people food that is comfort food and just to have a fun experience. So she opens a cupcake and drink shop where she makes these really interesting mixed drinks and these gorgeous cupcakes that have unusual flavors mixed together. Right next door, Ronan is renovating his grandfather's pub that has been in his family since his grandfather and grandmother started this business and his grandmother has died and his grandfather really resists change, but finally has agreed to let Ronan renovate the place and make a go of it. 
So it's a pub with axe throwing in the back. And the way that they meet is Blair is just getting ready to have her grand opening. And she has this beautiful mirrored wall of glass shelves with all these cute glasses set up on it. And something hits the wall and the glasses fall off and shatter. She goes next door and it's Ronan doing these renovations and trying out the axe throwing, which of course is against the wall where all her nice glass stuff is. So that's their first meeting. Well, then Ronan decides that it would be really funny if he starts pranking Blair. And actually at the beginning, he's pretty much a jerk. Like it's one I really had to work through. He he does some really unplay. He decides to have his grand opening on the same night that Blair has hers. He comes into her grand opening and passes out flyers to his pub while she is trying to get new customers. So it starts out where I really disliked Ronan. But then you find out that he just thinks it's funny and that he really wasn't meaning to take her business. Their hours are different. So she is more during the day and to like dinner time. And then he really gets going at dinner and after. So he thought it would be okay that they could send business to each other. But he never articulated that to her, which communication is key people. But yeah, so it's just really funny. There's a lot of a lot of banter back and forth. They both have unique fashion. So she loves to dress in 50s outfits. And you find out it's because she really latched onto those those shows from the 50s because her own family is completely dysfunctional. And that for her was a sign of comfort and stability. And Ronan loves to wear his dad. His dad died when he was quite young, which is one reason he's so close to his grandfather. He loves to wear his dad's plaid flannel shirts. And so that is sort of his uniform because that's his connection. So they start learning these things about each other and empathizing. So yeah, it's really sweet. It's really funny. It's quirky. And I just love seeing them work through all of this, that initial animosity to build a really sweet relationship. So yeah, again, that's Helena Hunting's Kiss My Cupcake. (laughs) Which I think is a great title too. I think I want to read that one. That sounds Sarah, awesome. you would love it. <laughs> Ashley, I do not know that you would love it. I know. I was thinking I, I had not nice things to say about the male character. You know, I really have a hard time working past that kind mm-hmm. of personality type in real life too. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know if Ashley realized, but while you were reading, she was crinkling her nose. <laughs> Or not reading while you were talking about your book. She was like mm, crinkling yeah. her nose. <laughs> I, I could I could feel the feelings. <laughs> I just my hate way. that. I hate that in characters. But I mean, I do think like like you were saying, Jen. I thought Emily Henry's Beach Read is a great example of yeah. one that really worked for me. That had that enemies to lovers for sure. Red, white, and royal blue is one of my most mm-hmm. favorite books. And yeah, and that really worked for me in that one. And what you were saying before about the lie, Farrah Roshan's mm-hmm. The Boyfriend Project is a great right. example of where the trope is heavily used, but it's so effective because we feel as the reader that the lie being told is for the right reason. And so I think yes. for that one, I agree with you, Jen, that that trope can be really off-putting for me. And it has to be convincing that the lie is necessary for a greater good. And then that if that's the situation, then often I can go there. Whereas if the lie is for self-serving purposes, then that can be really off-putting. I think sometimes it's if I feel as if it's not an authentic part of the story. With Farish on The Boyfriend Project, it was an authentic, non-manipulative part of the story. Whereas sometimes it feels as if the trope is just there to be there. 
And, and that's when I don't love it as much. If it's not a necessary, an organic part of the story, I just get really impatient with it. Yeah. It reminds me of when I was little, I would go stay with my grandma every summer and she loved soap operas. And sometimes I would go there multiple summers in a row and not have watched the soap opera in between. And people were still perpetuating the same stupid lie that they had been last summer. And I would get frustrated with it even then. Just tell the other person. And instead, there's all this bizarre manipulation going on. Anyway, it, it's clearly I have scars from childhood with this, <laughs> with this trope that I have not yet overcome. <laughs> so Ashley, what's your trope? <laughs> so as I already shared, I wanted to talk about this because I absolutely love this book and it does use a trope. I don't have a lot of examples of this. So honestly, I don't know for sure that this is my favorite, but I can see why the trope works in the book and I'd be willing to read more books that include this trope. So the trope that I wanted to share is the switching lives trope. And the example that I wanted to give that I highly recommend is Beth O'Leary's The Switch. And the reason I love this one is because this centers on Lena Cotton and Eileen Cotton, who are a granddaughter and a grandmother. Lena is a workaholic living in London. She feels that her work is at the center of her life. She doesn't really know who she is outside of work. She doesn't do much for free time, you know, and she's just very work centered. And then Eileen Cotton lives in a tiny village and has a lot. She is a very active person and very involved in her community, but she is much more balanced in her life and just lives much more of a small town community life. And they have lost Lena's sister to cancer. And all of them are still, including the mom who is involved in the story as well, all of them are still reeling from that loss and also finding their way. And so in the beginning of the story, Lena's boss tells her that she has got to take some time off. So they're giving her paid leave for her to have time off so that she can have some time to grieve and to take care of herself. And she has no idea what to do with that. <laughs> and so it is the, the beginning of the story is really about how she is lost instead of feeling like she, you know, a lot of people might feel that they're rejoicing if their employer does that for them. And instead she feels unmoored and doesn't know what to do. And so the idea evolves for them to switch places. And the reason for Eileen to come to London is that she is looking for love. And she's in a tiny village and she is an older lady. And so there's not a lot of eligible bachelors ready to ready to get to know her. And so that's kind of the motivation is for her to go to London so that she can get involved in the dating scene and try out some of the online dating so that she can meet some people. And then for Lena Cotton to be in the village where her mom lives as well, and to have some time to just force herself basically to be away from work. Because if she has you know left the location, it's going to be a lot easier for her to be away from work. And lots of things 
transpire from there. But I just absolutely love this story. And there are, there's lots of romance and things that are happening for both of them as far as relationships. But I think at the center, why I loved the trope and the part I loved so much is how they came to understand each other even better. And what I loved the most about the book was the relationship between the two women. So I really loved, for one thing, I think I shared this on a bookish check-in at some point, but for one thing, I absolutely loved Eileen. She is an older woman who is portrayed as being feisty and active and excited about life. And I think that we don't see that depiction of older people that often in stories, at least for me, I haven't read that many that center an older, an older woman who's excited about romance, who's looking for love, who's open to new possibilities. I don't think we see a whole lot of that. And so I absolutely love that part. And then I love the relationship between them. I think they have a really tender relationship and they've been through a really hard time, but they are finding a way toward healing and this switching of places really opens up the possibility for them to heal. And so I, yeah, I just think it's great. And I like that. I think what I like about the trope is that when you have to be in someone else's life for a period of time, of course, you come to see their experiences in a different way. And that's what really worked for me in this one is just that Lena had no idea how active and involved. And I mean, her, her grandmother just does so many things every day. And so, you know, she just didn't realize that about her. And so I think that's really cool. And then I love her grandma trying out this new adventure and going to the city and being there and trying to navigate social media and phones and stuff that she doesn't have any experience with. And both of them just really opening themselves up to a new experience. So that's why that worked for me. And again, I don't have a lot of books I've read in that trope, but I think that I like it as a convention because I love the way that it brings about a new experience for the characters. And again, that's Beth O'Leary's The Switch. I like that trope too. I like that trope in movies and TV shows too. I like the mm-hmm. switching lives thing. You should read Emma Lord's You Have a Match. And that one does not rely predominantly on that trope, but it does have a little parent trap element within it. That's a lot of fun that it's like a mini trope. I'll have to check that out. I've heard good things about that one. It's so good. Oh my goodness. And I will say that's one that has a ton of lies at the center, but because it's like you were saying about the boyfriend project, because you understand why the people who are lying have told the lies in, in one case, it's, a legal matter. And in another case, it's because of the other person's feelings. It worked for me because it came from a good place and it didn't seem manipulative. Both, both of the big lies in the story come from a really good place. But yeah, I've, I love that. That's a YA book. And it's my first book by Emma Lord. I really want to read Tweet Cute now because I loved it so much. But the writing is great. The characters are fun. And it's one of those books that the secondary characters are as vivid as the primary characters. So you get kind of an ensemble feel, which I always really love too. I have Tweet Cute, but I haven't read I haven't read it yet. But and I have never I haven't even heard of You Have a Match. It just came out. I don't have the date in front of me, but January it's really 12th. recent. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, I think both of those sound great, and I've heard really good things about them. So to wrap up today, we hope you've enjoyed our conversation about tropes. We are so interested to hear, in general, if you like tropes or not, and if you do, then which ones you find 
that work for you? What what are your favorites? So let us know on social media at Unabridged Pod. To end today for our Give Me One, we're going to share one of our best college memories. Jen, what's yours? The first thing that popped into my head, I just decided to go with. So when I was in college, it was the time of the mixtape. And one of my friends, I had a really close knit group of friends. And one of my friends every year would make a mixtape with a song to represent each person on our hall. Oh, that's And yeah, it was really sweet. So she'd type up these cute show notes. I'm sure you all can picture this. You know, she got the blank tapes and she would type up the show notes on colored paper. And yeah, it was a very 90s thing, but she would type up show notes that talked about the song and the person. And so it was kind of like a scrapbook each year. And so I can look up those songs and it brings back memories of those friends. It was really a sweet, sweet gift that she made for us every year. That's amazing. That's really That is awesome. (laughs) It was really great. What about you, Sarah? What's one for you? There's so many, but I'm going to go with, so when I was little, well, little, like maybe eight, nine, that age, my uncle used to watch wrestling and I would watch it. And then my sister and I got very into WWF wrestling. We watched, we rented videos from the video store and watched like the eighties wrestling. And then we watched everything that we could get our hands on. We were very, for a short period, we were all about the wrestling. I had a, a, a magazine subscription to WWF magazine, wherein I wrote a letter and it was published in there. <laughs> so my only published piece. <laughs> well, there you go, friend. So, so we were very into it. And it was like, it was like, we were so into it for a very short amount of time. And then we, we really didn't do it. We didn't watch it anymore. And we just kind of left it. And then in college, one of my roommates, her boyfriend was very into WWE wrestling. And they were like, we're going to go to DC and watch a big wrestling match. Do you guys want to come? So my friend and I, we were like, sure, we're going to go. So we went all in, we went to Walmart and bought t-shirts with wrestlers on it and we went to the match and we had the best time (laughs) and i got to see the rock which was Uh, was when he was wrestling for wwe and i wasn't as into it as when i was a kid and i didn't know the people but for that moment i was super into it and everybody was had such a good time and it was just a really fun experience and it was like bringing my childhood back a little bit and i just it was such a great time so that is one of my favorite memories that's awesome that's sarah really have cool. you watched glow no i haven't but it's on you my list you would love it <laughs> oh my goodness it's so perfect it is so much fun you would love it yeah it's all about it's the glamorous ladies of wrestling or gorgeous ladies of wrestling is what it stands for but it is so much fun and it digs into all of those great wrestling details, but there's also this excellent feminist subplot. It's really fun. Well, what's funny. I watched peanut butter Falcon last year, which if you have not watched that movie, it is fantastic, but there's a little bit of a wrestling story in it and they have cameos from the old WWE wrestlers, several of them. So that was, those were like Easter eggs for me when my husband and I were watching, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so-and-so, you know, it was, Jake the snake or whatever. So (laughs) it was really cool. Ashley, what is yours, your best college memory or one of your best? I know it is hard to narrow it down. I'm going to go with, so 
we had an outdoor chapel on a mountainside that was about it wasn't quite an hour drive and it faced east and there were several times that we would drive to watch the sunrise and that's really special to me it's something that is really memorable i've never been at another location that had that kind of view and so and it's something that we did more than once but not so many times that I, you know, it was a very unique experience and ultimately my husband and I got married there. So that's really special to me and was something that was really cool to the location where we lived. So, oh, that's awesome. That's so nice. We hope that you've enjoyed talking about tropes today. Like I said before, we would love to hear what your favorite tropes are and books that you would recommend. And so hit us up on social media and share those at Unabridged Pod. And Like we said in the beginning, if you're interested in getting more involved, Unabridged Ambassadors are a great way to do that. And to sign up, you can just go to unabridgedpod.com slash ambassadors. Thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.